God, help us to be tender-hearted, to, to listen as the Spirit speaks to us, as He prompts us, as He speaks to us. We would hear and say, I'm on the way, Lord. Here am I, send me. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated, and uh, it's my, my privilege this morning to introduce uh, Pastor Nick, and Pastor Nick and Kirsty from Ballarat. It's great to have them with us this morning. Um, I've got to know Nick, uh, I guess it was to begin with originally when he was uh, helping run the youth there and then running the youth there and, uh, and helping out uh, running some of the state youth uh, events and things and I just absolutely loved Nick's heart and his humility and his just, you know, I, I said to him just before, I said, um, what is your official title now? And I said, it's associate pastor, isn't it? He's like, yeah, yeah, that's the official title. And he said, but um, Jack of all trades, master of none. But I think that more says about his servant heart and his, his love to just serve wherever he can. I know his, his senior pastor in Ballarat just so appreciates him. And, and uh, he's also part of the CRC uh, national training team and uh, just serves wherever God gives him opportunity. And I just really thank you for coming, Nick and Kirsty, this morning. And let's have open hearts to hear what God has to say to us this morning. So thanks, Nick. Can everyone hear me? Oh, yep, there we go. Very good. All right. Hey, so great to be here with you this morning. I feel really loud and that's cool because that means I don't have to yell very much. Um, just really uh, honoured and blessed to be here uh, with my wife today, Kirsty. Just give everyone a little wave because I want to embarrass you a little bit. There you go. Um, uh, Coxie and Rochelle have just been uh, so great and uh, Coxie's been a, a bit of a, a mentor from another city in my life. Um, and I think when I went for my credential in the CRC, uh, you were one of my uh, people who wrote nice things about me to, um, and lied to make sure I got in, you know, that kind of thing. So um, Coxie's just been amazing. You guys have an amazing church here. Uh, and I don't just say that. Um, I think that's just something guest speakers often say when they go to a church, yeah? They just get up and they say, you guys have a great church. Uh, but Kirsty and I, just from the moment we walked in here, just really felt like this is a church that doesn't just say they're a family church. You actually are a family church. And there's just such that vibe of family here. Uh, not just literal family, but spiritual family as well. Uh, so I don't know how you've uh, fostered that as well as you have, but um, just amazing leaders, amazing team, and and just keep doing what you're doing. Uh, it's just fantastic. So thank you so much for having us here today. It was a great honour to watch all the youth worshipping. That was fantastic. Good job, guys. Wish uh, all the youth at our church would be, would be similar. So I'm going to take this back and kind of go, hey, guys, the, the guys in Colac are really just smashing you right now. Um, so, um, and try and make them get competitive into worship, you know. Um, it's really good. Got great connections here too, obviously uh, knowing Coxie for a while, but my mum was here as a, as a teacher at Trinity College for a little while. Uh, a few years ago, I think she came to this church kind of nominally while she was here, although she was back in Ballarat most weekends. Her name was Fiona Bell. I don't know if any of you knew her while she was here. You did? Oh, that's fantastic. She's in Bendigo now, um, living with my, my grandparents or living, living there closer to, to them. She has a job there. Um, also, uh, wherever Lorraine is. Is Lorraine still in here anywhere? There she is up the back. Lorraine, no Lorraine from Bible College, which is fantastic. Eric over here used to live at my house. Uh, so that's always good. How long did you live with us, Eric? Just one year. It was a beautiful year, mate. It's just fantastic. <laughs> just, uh, I'll never forget it. So, no, in a good way. In a good way. We used to play lots of uh, PlayStation together. Yeah, it was excellent. So, uh, yeah, love Colac, love this church, and uh, you guys are just amazing. 
Hey, today I'm speaking about a little bit of an abstract concept. Uh, I'm speaking about the topic of wonder. Wonder. And uh, before I um, called this message Rediscover Wonder, uh, Wonder Killers and How to Beat Them, it's a little bit of a, a corny title, but I like it. Um, and so today I want to talk to you about this topic of wonder. So what is wonder? If I'm going to talk to you about it, I might as well define it whilst I'm here. So wonder is the feeling you get when you experience something unfamiliar, remarkable, amazing, or miraculous. It might be a, a revelation you get, a personal revelation, a God revelation, or, or something like that. It might even be the fulfillment of something that has been going on in your life, something that's been a long time coming, and you feel like that's just now been fulfilled. You can experience wonder when that occurs. It, also, when the miraculous occurs in your life, of course. You know, you might experience a miraculous healing or see God do a miracle uh, in the lives of someone else. Obviously, before, we just heard about uh, the young girl who was up on the balcony, and, and uh, Nana's prayers obviously worked in that situation. You know, it's miraculous, and I'm sure that you experience wonder when you heard the good news uh, that she was safe. Wonder is also the feeling you get when you gaze upon or hear something beautiful, renowned, significant, and incredible. Might be some picturesque scenery, might be a beautiful painting, or it might even be a lovely person. All those husbands and wives out there, I know that when you wake up of a morning, the first thing you think is, oh, wow. You know, it doesn't matter if someone's got bed hair or uh, morning breath. <laughs> morning breath's a thing, yeah? doesn't matter, you're just straight away blown away. That's how it works. you feel that about me? <laughs> right. <laughs> See how it is? Wonder can be powerful. Wonder can be powerful. I remember one time uh, that I experienced wonder significantly uh, in our lives due to an experience we had is uh, uh, my mum wanted to, had always said she was going to be in Paris at the Eiffel Tower on her 50th birthday. And she wanted to invite us along um, on that experience. And we actually got engaged over in Europe. Uh, so it was a number of years ago now. And uh, when, when we went on this trip, I remember she, there'd been a number of um, not great things happened in our life around about that time and things that would have threatened to kind of derail that trip or, or make that not happen, right? There'd been family issues and all kinds of things that, that really had hit, hit hard for us. And so uh, I remember at that time, she just kept her resolve and said, no, this is going to happen. And I remember when we, we, we caught the metro train in uh, and we got into Paris, we dropped off stuff in our hotel and it was about three or four o'clock in the afternoon, but it was already dark because it was winter. And uh, we, we caught the metro train out to this area where I don't actually know where it is. I can't remember where it was. But it was like this, this big standing area that gave you just this incredible view of the Eiffel Tower. And I remember just coming around the corner and us just seeing that structure for the first time. I didn't take that photo. I couldn't find any of mine for some reason. I think that was back when we had, um, you know, one megapixel cameras. So it wouldn't have worked. Um, but yeah, I just remember coming around the corner and seeing the Eiffel Tower for the first time and we were just blown away to the point where we didn't really say much to begin with. It was the fulfillment of something that we'd been hoping for for a long time and seeing that beautiful structure right then and there in, out with our own eyes, not just on a picture, was just an absolutely incredible experience. Wonder is so powerful that it can move us to tears. I'm sure some tears were shed that day. It can also reduce us to this childlike state of amazement. And I think this really encapsulates the core of what wonder does to us. Reduces us to this childlike state of amazement where all we can do is sit back and kind of go, wow. Wow, this is incredible. You know when you're a kid and everything is new and everything is fresh 
and uh, everything, you're experiencing everything for the first time and you're just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like when you go to the fireworks. I don't know if you've ever taken kids to the fireworks before and the whole time they're just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And we still go back there as adults because after all these years, we still secretly really like fireworks too. We're not actually going for the kids. We're going for us. Am I right? Parents out there. Who's there? Yeah, okay. We really love fireworks and that, that kind of thing, the, the fireworks, the spectacular thing that's going on, that really uh, causes us to experience that sense of wonder, reduces us to that childlike state. Not childish state, but childlike state. And in Scripture... Jesus said to his disciples that they should become like little children, Matthew 18.3. And a short time later, the next chapter, he said, the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like children, Matthew 19.14. Now, Jesus in this context was highlighting children due to their relative purity, sinlessness, innocence, and humility. Uh, most of all humility because he was actually kind of teaching in contrast to the Pharisees. He was saying, hey, the Pharisees, they're always on my case. They're always being super annoying. They're always kind of like coming at me with, with uh, hate and rejection, whereas the little children would just come to him freely and just accept him for who he was and trust in him. And this is why he was highlighting them for their relative humility. But it got me thinking as I was, uh, and this is kind of what's um, birthed this, this topic of wonder uh, in my mind, is this idea of being childlike because I kind of, looked at the little children coming to Jesus and figured, what else would change if I approached God as his child like a child? Not childish, but childlike. What would change in my faith? What would change in my life? And I think a big impact that it would have for me if I approached God like that, if I approached my faith like that, would be the sense of wonder and awe I experience in him on a daily basis and in and through my life. Only a couple of years ago, I watched my dad um, play in a concert. He's a, he's a piano player. Uh, he's been uh, teaching singing for like 35 years. And uh, I remember he, he probably does these concerts once every 18 months. And he's going to do another one this year, apparently. And I'm already stressed out about it. And I'm not even a part of it. Because it's just such a big deal. So basically, this concert that uh, he uh, played at this time, there was about 60 students in it. And uh, so I watched him that night play 60 different songs on the piano. And he's an amazingly talented accompanist piano player. He's never been taught. Uh, he's kind of self-taught. He started playing in church when he was about, I don't know, six or seven years old. And he's just got such an amazing level of musical genius, but in an untrained, untaught kind of way. It's quite fascinating. And I remember just watching him that night and just watching him play and just being absolutely blown away with how he he was able to set the tempo and when students would go off track, he'd play around them to make them actually sound good. And the ones that didn't sound very good sounded a bit better and the ones that were good actually sounded amazing, you know, because, because of his piano playing. And I remember just sitting back and watching that and just being like, wow, this guy's a machine. And I was absolutely blown away in that moment just watching my dad and watching his talent, watching his skill. And that made me think, if I'm blown away by my earthly father, if I experience that wonder and awe in and of him, just in that small, short little talent that he's been given, how much more so should I be blown away in and of my heavenly father and through the faith that I have in him for what he's done for me and seeing what he does in the lives of not only my life, but in others as well? How much more could we experience wonder in our heavenly father? I think sometimes we well, I speak for myself, I lose that sense of wonder. The older I get, and I'm not old, 
But the older I get, I know sometimes when, you know, I'll, I'll say stuff like that in my church and people start yelling at you, are not even old, Nick, shut up, right? <laughs> They're kind of like, you know, get the violin out, mate. So I'm not saying I'm old, but the older I get, I think the, more, the, the less wonder I seem to naturally have in my life. And we lose that sense of wonder in God sometimes because of things or factors I like to call wonder killers. Again, it's a little bit lame, but I kind of like it. Wonder killers. The enemy, we're told in Scripture, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy does not want you to have wonder in your faith. He does not want you to experience wonder in God because he knows the power of it. He knows that if you experience that wonder in and of God and in your faith, that you will be drawn more and more and more into relationship with Him. You will dive deeper and deeper and deeper into relationship with Him. You'll be more and more expectant of what He can do. The enemy wants to knock that right out. He doesn't even want you to have one scrap of wonder in your faith. And so he uses these things that I call wonder killers very subtly to kind of slowly but surely derail us sometimes from having that sense of wonder in God. And this morning, if that's you, if you're sitting here today and you've come to church and perhaps you, if you were describing your faith, you would see it uh, not like a, a, an amazing waterhole that's flourishing and, and going well, but actually more like a desert. You know, sometimes Christians, we say we're going through a desert season in our faith. That just means things are tough, yeah? That's just Christian speak for things aren't going so great in my faith and it's a little bit of hard work at the moment. So if you're here this morning and perhaps you've come here and you feel it's your faith is probably more towards that desert end of the spectrum. The good news for you is that today what I'm going to be speaking on is wonder killers and how to beat them. Whatever it is that you feel has kind of derailed or detracted from that sense of wonder you have in God, I want to talk about how we can position ourselves to rediscover wonder again. And in doing so, we're going to be looking at a well-known passage which highlights two people that we're going to learn from today. One of these people uh, let wonder killers win for the most part, whilst the other one was able to rediscover their wonder and actually it drew them more and more into relationship with Jesus. And this well-known passage, some of you might know as the story of Mary and Martha. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. I'm reading from the NLT. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these little details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken from her. It will not be taken from her. What I'm going to do just briefly this morning is I'm essentially just going to lay out four different wonder killers and how we can go about beating each one, how we experience each one, and how we can actually go about overcoming each one in and through the name of Jesus. It's obviously not in and of our own strength, but it's with the power of God helping us all the way. And the good thing is Jesus is always there ready and willing to help, right? We kind of take one little step out and he basically does all the rest. So uh, it's, a, it's a pretty good deal we've got going with uh, this God thing. So wonder killer number one is distractions. The scripture says, Martha was distracted. The Greek word for distracted here means drawn away. She had been drawn away from Jesus because she was off doing something else the whole time. Martha's main distra distraction in this scripture was work. She was serving. 
The Greek word for serving is diakoneo. Now, diakoneo is where we get our English word deacon from. Now, deacons serve in the church. You may realize that diakoneo, or serving, is clearly not a bad thing. It wasn't like Martha was off uh, partying or doing something nuts. She was just serving. She was just doing what she felt like she had to do. She was doing a good thing. The irony here, though, is that Martha had initially welcomed Jesus into the home. It wasn't anyone else that had welcomed Jesus. It wasn't even Mary. It was Martha that had gone out and welcomed Jesus into the home. But now that he was there, she was too busy to actually be with him. She was too busy to sit with him, too busy to listen to him, too busy to hang out with him, too busy to learn from him. And you know what? I can be exactly the same in my life sometimes. can be exactly the same in my faith. I've opened my life up to Jesus. I've opened my faith up to Jesus. But then sometimes I can find myself getting distracted by stuff that draws me away from him. I wonder if you've ever experienced that as well. I'd say we all have at some point or another. And that stuff that distracts us or draws us away from Jesus can be overindulgence in time-wasting stuff, which I'm sure right now you can already think of the things that distract you uh, from God sometimes. And I'm not going to go into those because, you know, you've got a brain. You already know what those things are. The tricky one, and the one that perhaps I think, hesitant to say that the enemy uses, but I'm sure he takes every opportunity he can get. The one that can kind of blindside us a little bit is the things that we think we're doing for God or the things that we are doing for God and we're overdoing them for God so much that we're actually not spending any time with God anymore. This is a really subtle thing that can really see us distracted or drawn away from Jesus doing stuff that we think is good but is actually having an impact in our lives. I actually think that perhaps Martha had a hospitality gift. She clearly wanted to serve. She clearly wanted to you know, get all the food ready and she had such a beautiful heart for hospitality. But unfortunately, she let the gift get in the way of the giver. Jesus, the one that had given her that gift, was sitting right there waiting to spend time with her and all she was doing was worrying about the food. And I'm not just picking on the hospitality gifted people in the audience this morning. It's the same with every single one of us. It might be the spiritual gift you've got. It might be the motivational or ascension gift you might feel you have that can sometimes actually draw you away from God more than it leads you to Him because you're so caught up in that. Or it might even be something you're serving in. Now, don't get me wrong here. Serving is a Christian principle. Every single Christian, I believe the scripture is very clear on the fact that all of us should be serving in some way because it's building up the body of Christ. It's building up our family. It's building up the world. It's building up the body of believers. I think that's a very positive thing. But when we let the gift, when we let the service get in the way of the one who we're ultimately meant to be serving, that's where it can be, a tr- uh, be an issue. Meanwhile, what was Mary doing? She was doing absolutely nothing, really. She was just sitting there. How annoying. Mary was just sitting there listening in wonder. Only one of the two sisters had any wonder that day, and it was Mary. And she was the one that was doing the least, but spending the most time with Jesus. How often do we do the same as what Mary did? Is there time in our schedule for intimacy with Jesus? Is there time in our busy week for intimacy with God? Is there time in our week to just sit and go, Jesus, I just want to hear what you have to say. Even if I sit here for however long and I don't hear anything, I still want to allow that time. By the way, I'm preaching to myself here as much as I'm speaking to you. I wouldn't be speaking on this if I found it easy. I only speak on things that I struggle with myself. 
So how do we beat distraction? We beat it with dedication. Being dedicated to spending time with God and prioritizing Him above all else. Above the things that are time wasters, but also above all the good things that we have as well. Jesus is the most important. So wonder killer number two is people, or rather, what other people are doing or not doing. At one point in serving, Martha approached Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? This is one of these times in Scripture where I can really see the advantage of being an only child. And uh, I am an only child, and, and I look at the story of Mary and Martha, and I go, wow, that's just saved me a lot of heartache, being an only child. I never have to be annoyed with a sibling. Is there any other only children here? No. Oh, one. Yes. You're awesome. All right. So, being an only child rocks. That is not the point of my sermon. But sibling rivalry is, uh, is a real problem in our society today. Not really. That's a joke. All right. Question. <laughs> I just got off topic. Question. If Mary wasn't there... If Mary wasn't there, would Martha have even had an issue? If Mary wasn't there doing nothing, would Martha have even had an issue? Or would she have been happy to serve and just do what she felt she needed to do and mind her own business? My guess is, obviously we don't know, but my guess is that if Mary wasn't in that room, Martha probably wouldn't have had a problem. It was once there was someone else to compare herself to and compare her situation to, that all of a sudden this self-righteous indignation rose up within her and she began to go, hey, something is not right here. That is not fair. And I think we can be exactly the same sometimes, get frustrated with our life and our walk simply because of someone else's life and someone else's walk or what we perceive it to be. Someone once said we compare our behind the scenes with everyone else's highlights reel. We see what's on Facebook, what's on Instagram, what's on, you know, what we see with our, with our eyes uh, in public when we see them around. And we don't realise what's going on in there behind the scenes. We only know what's going on in our behind the scenes. And we compare that to their highlights reel. And that's how people can be wonder killers for us. It's not because they're doing anything wrong. It's because we've not taken responsibility for our own life and our own faith in that moment. Not only does focusing on people take our eyes off Jesus and put it onto something else, but it also can give us that self-righteousness and frustration that makes us drag other people down. It's not enough that I'm unhappy. I want you to be unhappy too. It's not enough that I'm really busy and getting frustrated. I want you all to be busy and frustrated so that we can all just be miserable. Have you ever found yourself doing that? On a very rare occasion... <laughs> On a very rare occasion, now I've got to be careful how I phrase this one because my wife's in the room. So on a very rare occasion, um, I just want to preface this little story with the fact that Kirsty um, does most of the housework in our house. I just want to say that from the get-go so that I'm not sounding like I do heaps, right? Because I feel like I do enough. Okay, well, let's not get to that. <laughs> just, just digging the hole even deeper. So anyway, occasionally it, I might get home from work and Kirsty might say, hey, would you mind doing the dishes for me? And it, normally that's fine, obviously. But then on a, on a real grumpy day, if I've just had a bad day at work or something, I come in and I'm like, I just want to sit on the couch. So I go over. And what I do to kind of rub it in to the rest of the household, this is me just being really honest about my immaturity, is I'll do the dishes, but I'll do them really loudly. 
you know. I'm clanging things. I'm getting water everywhere. I want you all to know about my sacrifice right now. I want you all to know that I'm doing the dishes and you're not. I know I'm being a martyr or a Martha. I don't know. Has anyone ever done that before? Don't put your hand up. All right. All right. There we go. <laughs> All right, so hopefully you can realize that this is an actual thing. You know, we actually sometimes get like this. How do we beat that people focus? How do we, you know, the only reason I'm doing the dishes so loud is because there's someone else sitting on the couch doing something else. We've got a housemate as well, so watching her watch a TV series and I'm doing the dishes and I'm getting grumpy and I'm sure Kirsty would feel the same if I'm on, sitting on the couch watching TV and she's doing the dishes, right? The only reason we've got a problem is because there's someone else in the room. If no one else is there, we don't care. We just get on and do what we've got to do. How do we beat people focus? We beat it with perspective. Beat it with perspective. Mary, on the other hand, didn't worry about what others were doing or what others thought of her. I was thinking about this situation with Mary. She was sitting in the room with the rabbi, which is probably something that culturally she shouldn't have been doing. She probably should have been in the kitchen helping Martha at the time. She probably should have been in another room. She definitely should not have been there sitting, kneeling and listening to the rabbi. It was not her place. And yet because her perspective was that, no, I need Jesus. I need to focus on Jesus. I don't need to focus on what anyone else is doing or thinking of me. I need to focus on Jesus. That is what caused her to not get stuck in the comparison trap. So we want to intentionally change our perspective by focusing more on Jesus. Hebrews 12 says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, setting our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Run the race marked out for you, not for that other person. Focus on Jesus and he'll keep you in your lane. Okay, so how do we beat people focus? We beat it with perspective. I need to hurry up. One to kill and number three is... Oh, itchy eye. One to kill number three is complacency. Complacency says, I'm fine how I am. I don't need more of Jesus. You know, Nick, this is all well and good. I've got my Bible stuff and my prayer stuff and everything down pat. So, uh, you know, entertaining sermon, but I'm all good. Complacency says that we actually don't need to change anything. Complacency says, I'm fine exactly how I am, where I am, what I am. You know what? In God, God is happy with you. He sees you as perfect and amazing and incredible because you're his child. That's true. But I feel that when we start to get stuck in this thing of, oh, I'm good, that's the moment that we start to regress. Do we really think we're ever going to experience and explore all of God in our lifetime? No matter how much further and how much more we go into depths with him, we're never going to find the bottom of that pit. We're never going to find the end of that complacency tells us you're fine how you are don't worry about trying any harder don't worry about going any further that's what complacency does we lose the sense of urgency and desire for more of jesus this when this happens it's a huge opportunity cost in regards to our wonder because we've not even got ourselves in the room to begin with you see with mary mary actually got herself in the room with jesus she recognized a need for Jesus. And not just a thing of like, okay, the next time Jesus is in town, I might hang out with him then. It's like, no, I need Jesus now. I need more of Jesus now. Not tomorrow, not next week. I need him now. 
She could have made excuses. She could have said, I'm fine, I'm busy, I can't be bothered. There's a new show on Netflix I really want to check out. She could have said all these different things, and yet, no, instead, she didn't. She sacrificed time to be there. She sacrificed whatever else she could have been doing to be there, to get in the room with Jesus. So how do we beat complacency? We beat it with consistency. Consistently positioning ourselves to know Jesus more, to learn more about him, to grow in him more and more. And I think a big part of this is creating consistent Bible prayer, worship, and, and, and uh, that in our, in our personal lives. Also gathering with the believers as you're doing here this morning. That's fantastic. I don't know if you've ever heard anyone mention um, a, a term self-feeders. Has anyone ever heard that before? So becoming self-feeders in our lives. So uh, uh, Coxie was just talking before about not just experiencing God on Sunday, but every single day of the week, yeah? And that's basically what being a self-feeder is all about. If you're looking to the Sunday sermon as being your main meal, you're going to be going hungry through the week. Becoming a self-feeder means we're actually having our main meal Monday to Friday or Monday to Saturday, whatever. And then the Sunday service, the Sunday sermon is like the after-dinner mint at the end of your weekend, right? And then you're jumping back in on Monday or whenever the start of your week is to actually, hey, I'm feeding myself again. I'm getting into my word. I'm getting into prayer. I'm getting into these things because I'm not going to live week to week on one meal a week and just hope that the sermon's good enough that week to sustain me because guess what? Preachers, I'm maybe just speaking for myself, we're going to disappoint you. We're going to disappoint you because sometimes we don't preach that good. If you're relying on the preacher to fill you up every week and be fed, you're going to go really hungry sometimes. Becoming self-feeders is absolutely key in our Christian walk and faith. If you think Jesus only spent time with God at temple on a Saturday or a Sunday, I'd assume that's probably incorrect. I think Jesus was constantly in conversation with, with God. He was regularly reading the scriptures. Becoming self-feeders. Now, note well that, you're, that being consistent in your faith doesn't necessarily mean static. I'm not saying, hey, you know, you need to do this at this certain time every single day. Maybe that works for you. But life is also hectic and, and dynamic, isn't it? You know, we're just about to have our first child. I've got this structure and schedule and routine in my life, and I'm sure that's just going to mess that whole thing up, right? And I'm going to have to work out what life looks like after that, and I genuinely don't know what life looks like after that. And so I'm going to have to just go, all right, I don't want to be getting to the end of the month and go, wow, I haven't read my Bible in a month. I've changed a lot of nappies, but I haven't read my Bible and I haven't prayed. I, I want to try and figure out how to actually, you know, let's get this into my daily, daily routine. And that might mean doing it here, there, there. It's not going to look the same every single day, perhaps. You might be a night shift worker. You can't do things at the same time every day. You might have a shift here and a shift, whatever. Whatever your life looks like, consistency doesn't mean being static with your faith. It means a dynamic faith that can grow and adapt and change around whatever happens in life. So seek God for the answer to that in your environment if you're struggling to know how you can kind of outwork that in your life. And finally, one to kill a number four is familiarity. Familiarity in any relationship, be it a friendship or a marriage, can lead to wonder evaporating. And we don't do it on purpose. It just is something that can happen over time. When Kirsty and I first got married, people encouraged us, make sure you continue to date your spouse. Um, Coxie talked about date night and the marriage, the marriage course. Fantastic. Really, really cool. Because that um, was talking about, you know, um, 
the, the pictures and the videos we were seeing is, you know, planting a garden takes time. And, and Coxie talked about doing things proactively, not just reactively in your marriage and that kind of stuff. And that's why people encourage us, make sure you date your spouse. So we've kind of carved out um, a night of the week. And I'm sure when we have a kid, that'll all change too. But uh, <laughs> look at me being all idealistic up here. Um, but, you know, for this season of our lives, we've carved out a certain time of the week and, and that's the time where we just hang out. We, uh, we might go to dinner. We might do something else, whatever. You know, it doesn't have to be super planned either. But familiarity can be a real wonder killer. And similarly to any relationship that we have, I think familiarity can also evaporate the wonder in our relationship with Jesus sometimes. I personally find that if my, um, if my prayer and Bible reading and that kind of stuff, that my, my life in that way, if, if that's too static, I actually can get a little bit bored. And it's not that the Bible's boring. It's not that God's boring. It's just that when it gets a bit too static, I get a bit like, uh, again, get a bit complacent, get a bit familiar, same old routine, uh, right? After the Mary and Martha story that we've just read here, because of this familiar, familiarity factor, I'd have expected that both Mary and Martha probably would have gone on to have that same issue. You know, that familiarity would have bred complacency within them and then they kind of would have eventually gone, oh yeah, Jesus is fine, but he's not great. You know, Martha had just been told off by Jesus. So I kind of thought she's just a write-off altogether. She just would have been like, yeah, nah, um, Jesus was not very nice to me, so I'm just going to not talk to him anymore. Um, and then I thought, you know, with Mary, she's all lovely and like, oh, Jesus, I'll sit at your feet. But, you know, how long is that going to last, really? Like, come on, you're not going to sit at his feet every day, are you, Mary? So I kind of thought over time, perhaps that familiarity factor would have come in and they would have got bored or they would have got whatever it was. But do you know what's interesting is when we go forward in Scripture and read more about Mary and Martha, we actually find that that's not the case at all with either of them. Because later on in the timeline in John chapter 11, Martha, uh, Jesus comes to uh, raise Lazarus from the dead, basically, is what ends up happening. And Lazarus is Mary and Martha's brother. And uh, as Jesus is coming uh, to, to do that, Martha goes out and meets Jesus before he even gets there. And she has this dialogue with him of, of, of um, you know, Jesus, if you had have been here, he wouldn't have even died. And they have this great conversation. And eventually he says, hey, I can do anything. If you believe in me, I can do anything. Do you believe who I am? And she says, yes, Lord, you are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. This is Martha who'd just been told off by him only perhaps months earlier. By this time, they were friends. By this time, she got to know him more and it hadn't actually pushed her away. It had drawn her closer and closer to the point where there's very few people in the New Testament before Jesus went to the cross that were able to admit and know that Jesus was the Son of God and the Messiah. Very few people in Scripture and I'm pretty sure Martha was the only woman. This is a significant moment. Martha, who was once scolded and seemed rejected in that story, familiarity brought her closer to Jesus, not made her bored or made her more annoyed. And then with Mary in John chapter 12, so Lazarus got raised from the dead. John chapter 12, Jesus goes and has dinner with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And Mary comes out and uh, as if, you know, doing the whole being at Jesus' feet was already not enough of a faux pas, she then goes and washes his, hair, uh, washes his feet with her hair and her most expensive bottle of perfume. See, Mary isn't bored of Jesus. Mary hasn't gone, oh, I've seen Jesus a number of times. You know when Jesus went back to Nazareth and they were all like, oh, that's just Jesus. He grew up here. Lame, right? Mary wasn't like that. The more that she got to know him, and it's the same with Martha too, the more that they got to know him, 
the more their wonder increased. Familiarity did not kill their wonder with Jesus, it increased it. Because the more that they came to know him, the more of God they experienced. And they realized that this Jesus was more than just a rabbi or a good bloke. He was God in flesh, here to teach us, here to save us, here to know us, here to love us, here to heal us, here to resurrect us. Where there was once Lazarus was dead for four days and yet Jesus was able to go into the tomb and raise him to new life. It doesn't matter how stinky life is. Jesus can bring a resurrection in those situations. They got to know him more and more, and familiarity was never a wonder killer for them. It drew them more and more into relationship with Jesus. So how do we beat familiarity? We beat it with intentionality. Being intentional in relationship with God through the things that we've already discussed, prayer and Bible reading and and our personal relationship, but also intentionally taking time to reflect on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The night before he was um, crucified, <clears throat> we see the Last Supper situation. That's why we celebrate communion. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Because when we look to the cross, when we sing those words that we had up there today, and remember that this guy, this Jesus, who was God in flesh, came and died for us, when we think about that in its totality, it's very hard to let familiarity kill our wonder. The cross is the most wondrous spectacle in the whole of Christianity. And it is open and welcoming all of us, every single one of us. We can also practice intentionality by practicing thankfulness as well. There's a friend of mine, he just gets up every day and just starts thanking God for random stuff. Like, because when I wake up, I don't want to thank God for anything, if I'm honest, because I'm awake and I want to be asleep. But he just starts thanking God. God, thank you for this bed. God, thank you for a shower. God, thank you for hot water. God, thank you for a toothbrush. Like, it it sounds really silly, but by the time he gets to breakfast, he's already preached himself happy for the morning. And he goes, hey, God, you've already given me everything I need. You've already blessed me abundantly. Any, Any other issues and things that I've got going on in my life, I know that you are good and faithful. I know that you are taking care of me. So perhaps that's something that you might want to integrate into your lives as well. It's something that I'm trying very hard to do. As I said, I'm not going very well with it so far, but it's something I'm seeking to do more and more. So why do we do any of these things? Why do we want to beat these wonder killers? We do them because wonder doesn't have to stay lost. If you feel like, if you're here this morning and you feel like you've lost some of that wonder in your faith, it doesn't have to stay lost. You can rediscover wonder again. You can rediscover wonder again. This morning, that's all I have for you today, but I would encourage you, uh, if anything that I've spoken about this morning has kind of hit a nerve with you and you would like to receive some prayer for that, I'd be more than happy as the band comes up to to sing their final song, more than happy to pray with you, more than happy even just to have a chat. Sometimes you just want to chat and and, prayer is kind of the bonus. Uh, but I thank you very much for having me here this morning, having us here this morning. Uh, pray our blessings over you guys and uh, that your church will continue to thrive. And yeah, thank you for having us. Cheers. Thank you, Lord. You know what's amazing, Nick? Is, is two, uh, two weeks ago when I spoke on Luke chapter 10, I'd planned to speak on that passage too, and God sort of cut my message in half and said, no, leave that, leave, don't, don't do that bit. And I'm like, okay. And then you get up and I, we hadn't, I said, just preach whatever God puts on your heart, mate. And uh, I didn't know exactly, sort of said briefly something about childlike faith this morning. I'm like, sounds good, great, whatever. And he gets up and he shares that. I'm like, wow, God is good, isn't he? He is faithful and he loves you. He cares about you. I love that message. Let's never lose the wonder.
Um, can we stand right now? And I just want to pray. And as Nick said, he'd love to pray for you too. If you'd like to come down the front and just have some prayer. But God, I, I thank you so much for your love for us. And God, as, as Nick's encouraged us this morning to just look to the cross and see the creator of the universe who, who so loved the world that he gave his only son. And whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God, let us never lose the wonder of the cross. Wow, God, your love for us. God, that you would be mindful of us. Lord, we have all, like sheep, gone astray. We just wander and get lost and get tangled up in so many things and get... Lord, we, we, we mess up so quick, so easy, so often. And yet, Lord, your love for us continues on. God, I just pray right now that, Lord, we would have fresh revelation of your amazing love for us, God. Your wondrous love for us. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Just begin to just, just thank him yourself. We're going to sing this song, but just let this be a time of you responding to God, saying, Lord, thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you, God, that you so love me that you came and gave your life upon the cross. We thank you for the privilege of being able to serve you. We've been talking about loving God and loving people. We thank you, God, that we can be used by you to, to be salt and light on this earth, to tell people about the gospel. God, I just pray this morning that you would help us to just love you, which really is about understanding your love for us. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just respond to him now as we sing this song.